It's been good to be here already this morning. I've been blessed and encouraged with the singing, and thank you, Daniel, for the devotions and the Sunday school. <clears throat> and we miss those among us that, that are not here, the youth and others that can't be here. So I've been going through Romans, and, and the next passage is chapter 13, a fairly familiar passage to many of us. Um, I actually didn't realize it was, it was preached twice a year. Manny, that's interesting. Um, so I, I don't know if there's a lot of new stuff, but a refreshment, and, and I feel like I've learned a lot here. The title of my message this morning is Being Subject to Authority. Being Subject to Authority. And we're going to be looking specifically at verse 1 through verse 7. In this part of Romans here, Paul was guided by the Spirit to address how we are to respond to, to authority, specifically civil authority. And, and I had to ask, why is Paul addressing this subject to the church here in Rome? Why was he writing, why did he, why was he led to write this to the Roman church? I don't know if I have answers, maybe some things that, that um, I noticed or came up in, in thinking through this. This would have been just a few years after Nero came to power. And while he, he actually had some fairly good policies in his first few years of, at least according to history, it seemed like he did pretty well for a few years. Um, and he was kind to Christians. There was a number of years he was very lenient towards Christians, specifically in Rome. It was still a very unsettled time politically. It was very unsettled. And groups around Rome, the Roman Empire, um, had different responses to Nero coming to power and Claudius, after Claudius died. And it was a very unsettled time. And, and I think this affected the church as, as it would today it, if in our country we were going through that. Um, there may have been questions arising. How do we respond to, to Nero? There was also, we also know there was many zealous Jews throughout the Roman Empire. And also, the, some of these Jews would have been in Rome specifically. Um, Jews that <clears throat> didn't want to recognize any king. God was their king. And uh, they also didn't want to pay taxes either. And so, I don't know, were some of these Jews in the church? Very possibly. Some of these have may, may have been converted to Christianity, and, and some of this was carried into, into the Roman church of this time. They may have even been using their Christianity as an excuse uh, to not to have to obey some of these pretty inconvenient laws of the time. <clears throat> And also, I think these, even the, the, the Christians that were devoted to Christ were also, they placed their loyalties to this new king. And, and this new king made an interesting statement while he was here on earth. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And, and that brings the question even for myself sometimes. So, so then, what, how do I respond to these these earthly kingdoms, these earthly kings, these rulers. My, <clears throat> excuse me, my citizenship is in heaven. Does that, does that mean I don't, need to, I don't need to obey? I don't need to relate to these earthly kings. And Paul addresses that specifically here. And we also see that Peter addresses that as well. And let's just turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2. And I'm going to read just a few verses there. We'll read from about 11. Let's read from 11 to 17 there. 
um, a lot of the similar ideas come through. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. We see there, again, he's consistent with this idea that we aren't part of this kingdom. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall be, behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king as supreme, or unto governors, or as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. So how are we to respond to authority of this world? And specifically, uh, most of the time when I'm talking about authority this morning, I'm specifically thinking civil authority. Does a, does a lot of it apply to other authority? It does. Um, but I'm specifically thinking civil authority. And this is something that, that I have not always done well over the years at. Um, You know, I, 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 thought, I thought I was doing better at this, and it wasn't more than about five or six weeks ago, and, and on the way to church, we're coming to church, and I'm, I'm in a hurry, and we need to get to church on time. And I glide through a stop sign. And uh, missing the white pickup behind me, that was a police officer. Sure enough, he pulls me over, and I'll admit, I was frustrated. I, had, I, I really struggled with my attitude. Um, my wife called me out on that a little bit. But, yeah, it's something that I've had to, you know, to, to view government and civil authority as, as ordained by God and view them as Paul is, is calling us to in this passage is something I'm, I'm maybe still working on a little bit. And, and it's something that we probably had to think about more in the last few years than ever, or maybe in a different way with things like, like COVID restrictions um, and the whole fiasco over elections and just the, the, the unrest and um, there's all these rollings back and forth about abortion and conflict there and just increasing tension, you could say political tension in America. And so it's things we do have to wrestle with, things we do have to think about. And it's, it's really important actually how we think and what our attitude is toward authority. Interesting, in Jude, one of the signs or characteristics of, a, of false prophets are men who despise authority. That's one of the signs of a false prophet. Men who despise authority. <clears throat> Two foundational beliefs that I want <clears throat> to that, that look at briefly before we, we get into this passage that I think are really important to us as, as followers of Jesus. And they, they majorly affect how we view government, how we view authority. The first one is God, is the belief that God is in ultimate control of the kingdoms of this world. God is in ultimate control of the kingdoms of this world. You see that in Daniel 4.17, 
the reason Nebuchadnezzar was humbled is so that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. The most high rules in the kingdom of men. Psalm 22:28. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. God is in ultimate control of the kingdoms of this world. 1 Peter 3.22 also addresses that. He says, Who has gone into heaven, it's talking about Jesus, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Our God is in ultimate control of the kingdoms of this world. Very foundational belief in how we view government and authority. <clears throat> the second one is all earthly rulers derive their power from God. This is one I've, I've really struggled with, and you can kind of go round and round on it. And, and how, does it, how can this be? You know, in America, we, we actually have, if we really think about it, we have decent rulers. <laughs> we, we have some good leaders. We really do. Um, they have their faults, but we have some good civil government. Um, and they let us live with a lot of freedom. But that is not the case around the world. So can we really say all earthly rulers derive their power from God? And I don't, I don't begin to understand this, but I, but I think it's true. Um, John 19, 11 there, where Jesus is standing before Pilate, an evil man. There's no way he's a good ruler. In fact, he was, he was pretty brutal to the, Jew, to the nation of Israel over this time. He's standing before him, and Pilate warns him and says, don't you know I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus just says, you could have no power against me at all unless it was given to you from above. The idea that all power comes from God. And, and you see that in, in Romans chapter 13, coming through, where it just says, the first one there, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. I, need, I needed this reminder. I needed this reminder. And I, and I think we, we probably need this reminder because um, it really changes how you view authority. How you, how, do you honor them? Are you subject to them? <clears throat> As we look at this passage, there's four things that I just want to specifically dig into a little bit more. The first one is, what is being subject? I'm going to look at that in verse 1. What is being subject? And in verse 2, we're going to look at the ordinance of God. And I'm actually, this morning, I'm going to call it the order of God. <clears throat> verse 2. Verses 3 and 4, we're going to look at God's purpose for government. And then verses 5 through 7, what are our responsibilities, or what is our response? What should our response be to civil authority? Let's start with verse 1 there. And I, I read it. I'm going to read this again. Let every subject, every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Titus uh, 3.1 would also call us to be subject to principalities and powers. Actually, let me just briefly turn there. I'll just read that. Titus 3.1, put them in mind to be subject to principalities 
and powers to obey magistrates to be ready to do every good work. We're called to be subject. Is that word again? Be subject. And it's really important that we note this. We, we subject ourselves to governing authorities. Why? Because, as it mentions in verse 1, they are appointed by God. He's not just calling us to be subject because it's good. It's because they are appointed by God. And I, I believe they serve a specific purpose in God's plan. And it's, it's really hard to see that purpose sometimes. There's, there's evil men in leadership around the world, and I don't begin to understand why. But I do believe God appoints a nation's leaders, and it's not always to bless them. And you see that through the history of Israel. They weren't always there to bless them. Um, sometimes God appointed very evil men to judge them, to take them captive, um, maybe to prepare them for something, maybe to bring them to repentance. And so I don't begin to understand why the evil men around the world are in leadership. But I do think I could say that God appoints a nation's leaders. As Christians, I think that should be our view of, of the leaders wherever we be. And, and today, that's easy. Can we say that if it's, if it's hard? I think that's really important. The opposite of one who has an attitude of, of an attitude of subjection is, is an attitude of rebellion, or you could say lawlessness. And those who grew up in, I don't know what the time period was, 50s and 60s and that time, you, you, under, you know what that, that feels like. That from reading history, there was a lot of, there was a lot of rebellion, so society in general. Um, it was cool to, to you know, be against authority, specifically leadership. Um, but 2 Thessalonians, again, talks about, talks about, it talks actually about the lawless one. There's a word that comes in a number of times. At least a number of translations use that, the lawless one. And it's talking about the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is lawlessness. It should not be among us as Christians. Um, and I think someone's attitude toward authority exposes a lot about what kind of spirit is in them. Let's look at what, what does it look like for us as Christians to be subject. What does this word subject mean? Um, the Greek word for, for subject or be subject is, I'm going to try to say this right, hupotasso. It has the meaning of a voluntary attitude of giving in. A voluntary attitude of giving in. Cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. That's the Greek word for subject. And I really think that as Christians, actually I know as Christians, we are called to have this attitude, or you could say this, this posture of subjection, to, specifically to authority, but even more so. Really interesting study sometime. Look up all the verses in the Bible that have this Greek word, hupotasso, in. Here's just a few. Ephesians 5.21, we are to be subject to one another. Ephesians 5.22, wives are to be subject to their husband. Ephesians 5.24, the church is to be subject to Christ. 
Titus 2.9, servants are to be subject to their masters. James 4.7, we are all to be subject to God. Ephesians 5, oh no, sorry, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, the younger are to be subject to the elder. Everyone is to be subject one to another. And I just started. It is all through the Bible. This, this idea, this attitude of a Christian with an attitude of subjection, being subject. I, I think it's just pretty clear in the Bible that as a Christian, we, to be consistent, we have this attitude. It, it goes with us. It's who we are. And, and our actions should follow that attitude. I really think that as God-fearing people, we should be known to the greater world around us, known for our willingness to submit to earthly authority, even at our own personal inconvenience. Is that what we're known for? Or one of the things you could say we are known for? And Jesus would have said something that goes kind of along with this idea in Matthew 5:41, when he's, he's talking. Um, I can't remember specifically who he was talking to, he says, but he just says, and whosoever compels thee to go a mile, go with him twain. That's subjection. You know, this time, if, if a Roman soldier asked you to carry their baggage for a mile, you were required. And you would think subjection would be just to carry it for that mile. But if you're willing, if you have an attitude of willingness to carry that burden, you're going to go too. And I think that's what we're called to. This voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, and carrying a burden. And I really believe that we, as Christians, should be the best citizens, willingly obeying the laws. Like it says further on, paying taxes, giving honor. Um, in Second Timothy, praying for, leading quiet, peaceable, life, peaceable lives. It's a picture of a model citizen. And I think that's all part of being subject to authority, like Paul is, is calling us here to, here in, in, in the first verse. And it all stems from this idea that we are remembering that those in leadership are ordained by God. Those in civil leadership are ordained by God. Let's look at, at, at the ordinance of God there in verse 2. And if I understand the wording right there, I think I can substitute the word ordinance for order. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I, you, I think you could read it, whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the order of God. It has this idea coming through that, that because God has ordained the leaders, because God has ordained authority, if you resist them, you are indirectly resisting, or you are resisting the order of authority that God has in place. And we know that God's, God is the highest authority. But he has an order of authority. And you actually see this actually in, in everything God has created. Um, and, and you see local governments business structures, we do best with, with an order of authority. I think that's how God created it. And God has given us an order 
And you are, you are resisting that order if, if you resist the power or the, the civil government. Um, we do know that Peter once said, we must obey God rather than man. It almost seems as if Paul's contradicting him. Is that the case? Um, I don't think he actually is. So when Peter and the other apostles were preaching in Acts 4 there, they were simply obeying a command given to them by God. Very direct command to go and preach. It was given to them by who? A higher authority, which is God. And, and even though the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin, they would have been given authority. And I think they, they had authority from God. I, I truly believe that. They had authority by God, from God. But when they told Peter and the other apostles to stop preaching, at that point, I think I'm right in saying they stepped outside of that order of authority. And Peter was right in saying, we obey God before we obey you. Until a leader or a ruler, you could say, steps outside of that order, the order of authority, and wants something from you that goes in clear violation or clear contradiction to a higher authority or God's laws, you could say, I think we're truly called to be subject to them. We're truly called to be subject to them until they ask something of you that is in clear violation with God's laws. Um, maybe a, a crude illustration or example of this. Um, and, and I welcome some response or feedback on this one. Imagine with me walking down the street. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, in Coatesville, if I'm walking down the street and a policeman comes up to me, gives me a gun and says, you are to shoot this man right here. Should I be obeying him? He has authority. Should I be obeying him? Response. What's? No. Why not? More. I mean, you're, you're, you're right. So I'm thinking, sorry, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking God. I'm, I'm thinking, who, who's, who gives the policeman authority? Correct. At this point, if you obey the policeman, you're going to be held accountable by his higher authority, which is the laws of the land, the, the government, the courts. The, and, and he is no longer under his order of authority. Now, does that take away all his authority? Do we not have to listen to anything because he told us to disobey in that one area? I, think, I don't think so. Um, and so, as a policeman, he's still given authority. In that area, we, we do well to not obey him because he is asking something of us that is, is not, it's not in the order of authority. His, his higher authority is not, would go against that. And we are to listen to the higher authority. A, a crude illustration, I know. But we are still to obey him in all the other areas. And I think that can be related to our civil government. There may be a command given someday that we specifically cannot obey from Scripture. And I think we do well to obey God rather than man. But it doesn't remove all the authority that that civil government has. It only removes, 
my understanding of this order of authority, it only removes that authority in that place. In that place, we are to obey God rather than man. Um, I don't know if, if that was clear. I, I've been mulling over this and trying to understand this, this order of authority. Um, but it, ultimately, we have to remember God is our ultimate authority, and that's where authority comes from. If God commands us to do something, we do it. We willingly do it. And we need to be subject to him first. We need to be subject to him first. But we also need to remember what Paul is calling us to here. God placed these men in our lives. And so that also calls us to be subject to these, these authorities. And there's a very strong warning there at the end of verse 2 to the man or to whoever resists the order of God. They receive to themselves damnation. And that's simply condemnation, a sentence, or you could even say a punishment accordingly. You will receive a punishment. And, and whether that is currently on this earth, very likely from the civil government, and maybe there's further consequences in eternity. Let's look at God's purpose for, for giving government authority. And I'm pulling these out of verses 3 and 4. Um, I, I see three purposes. Maybe more. This was the three things that I see God giving specific authority for government to do. And the first one is in verse 3 there where it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. A terror to those who do evil. Um, I simply call that they are to control evil. And I think, I think we see places in other parts of Scripture where government is given authority and given rule specifically over evil men. And I'm really grateful for our government and the rules we have in place. Um, sometimes I can, I can only imagine where, where we live, what it would look like if there was no rule, there was no authority, if there was no discipline carried out to evil men. And that is, I think, I'm saying it right, that is God's given, God gives authority to government to do that, to control evil in society. And, and while they, they maybe do control we need to remember that the rule of law does not, does not solve the problem of evil. Um, we can tend to view that, whether it's in church or government, the tendency is to, make, to think of, let's make a new law to fix a problem. It does not solve the problem of evil. It helps control it. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change the heart of a man. That's a beautiful thing. It's something that hopefully we've all experienced. A government is specifically given authority to control evil. The second thing I, I see in verse 4 there, it says, For he is a minister of God to thee for good. And I'm reading into it a little bit, but I, I think a government is given authority, and you see this all through history, to protect law-abiding citizens. And some governments do that very well. And I think, for the most part, a government would. God gives authority to government to protect law-abiding citizens. And this is a question that I'm not going to answer, um, something that I thought about. Should we then, as non-resistant Christians, as Christians that are not involved in government, have access then 
to the protection of civil government when we need protection? And I'm going to leave that as a question. The third thing, third purpose I think God gives authority to government for is the end of verse 4 there, where it says, He beareth not the sword in vain. And he goes on and says, For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. But this idea of bearing not the sword in vain. The sword in this time, I think I'm understanding it right, has the idea of capital punishment, honestly. Um, most, the majority of Roman executions of this time would have been done by beheading. There was a, a lot of crosses would have also been used, but that was generally reserved for lowly criminals. Um, any other capital punishment was done by beheading, and that was more of the standard procedure. And so I think I'm understanding Paul by saying that the government is given the authority to use the sword. He doesn't bear this in vain. God has given him that. Um, can we say that our civil government under God's authority has the power to exercise the death penalty? Honestly, I don't know if I ever thought of that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm, <clears throat> if I'm understanding this right, I think we can say that. God gives civil government this authority. Martin's Lynn once said, and I think he said it well, the sword is ordained of God for the punishment and execution of evil men, but it is outside of the perfection of Christ. And I'll read that again. The sword is ordained of God for the punishment and execution of evil men, but it is outside the perfection of Christ. It should not be something that is among us as believers. And I think there's a, there's a very clear distinction. We are called to be a holy people. So what is our, our responsibility, our Christian responsibility towards government? And let's, I'm pulling this out of verses 5 to 7 specifically. Again, in verse 5 there, it, says, it, it brings up this word of being subject. We're to be subject. I think that's a big part of our responsibility towards our government. I mean, he takes it, it seems like he takes it a step farther, not just being subject for fear of punishment, but also for conscience sake. And what is he, what is he all saying there? And I, if we really believe that God ordains the leaders of this, of this country, of the countries around the world, then resisting or disobeying them indirectly is resisting or disobeying God. If, if we want a clear conscience before God, I think I'm saying it right, we need to be subject to our authority. If we want a clear conscience before God. And I think that's what Paul is, is saying here. Subject to authority. There was a, there's a quote, and I couldn't find who said this, Christian obedience to the state is never blind. It obeys with the eyes of conscience wide open. It's kind of an interesting one. You have to mull over that one a little bit, but I think it said it right. Christian obedience to the state is never blind. It obeys with the eyes of conscience wide open. Um, and so we do it 
we obey, and if we really want a clear conscience before God, I think we, we have this attitude of subjection, being subject to, to authority. And, and this maybe plays into more than just, you know, he's specifically talking civil authority, but I think I can say the scripture is pretty consistent. This would be all authority. If you want a clear conscience before God, as a Christian, we're called to be subject to authority. In verses 6 and 7, then, because we're desiring this clear conscience before God, we're called to we're pay tribute. Um, talks in verse 7 about rendering dues, tribute, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor. All these things we're called to give to our civil government. I think it because of this desire of a clear conscience before God and because God has ordained them. They are God's ministers. First Timothy 2. I'm going to maybe add these things in here. Paul doesn't talk about them. First Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Just add these things to things that maybe our responsibility to our government here. Now, therefore, my son, be... No, I'm sorry. That's 2 Timothy. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. What should our response be? I think we're supposed to give honor, taxes, customs, fear, uh, we should lift our, our leaders up in prayer. We should give thanks for them. Could we add more? Very likely. And while we're called to give all these, these earthly things to our rulers, never in the New Testament could I find a scripture where we're told to give our allegiance or, or you could say our lives to, to these kingdoms or to these rulers. I couldn't find it anywhere. And, and Jesus, when he was here on this earth, he told the Pharisees one time they were questioning him about giving taxes, and he just says, give to Caesar that which was Caesar's. And he used a coin as an object lesson. What was on that coin? Anybody? What was on that coin? It's not a trick. The image of Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Whose image is on your life? It's not Caesar. It's God's. God's image is stamped on your life. And I think it's just really important that we give to God what is God's. While we give all these things to, to our earthly rulers, we're subject to them. We give them taxes, customs. We honor them. <clears throat> we pray for them. Our lives are to be given to God. Our lives are to be given to God. His image is on my life. It's on your life. In closing, I just, I just want us to remind us again to, to have this attitude of subjection toward authority. 
and and I think there's there's just a real freedom. Thank you, Daniel, for your devotions this morning. You mentioned this idea that there's freedom comes in in turning toward God or going towards God, and I think you could also say that being subject to God, there's a lot of freedom there, and it's it's maybe one of the uh, oxymorons of the Christian life. But the more subject we are to God, I think the more freedom we experience. And, and, and so we carry this attitude of subjection. Um, goes a long way. Let's just remember that, that both Paul and Jesus lived under Roman rule. Um, and so talking about it this morning and looking at it, it's easy to think, yeah, we can do this. But Paul and Jesus would have both lived under Roman rule, which was not a democracy. It was not a democracy. There's a lot of evil rulers, a lot of evil men. They were no friends to Christians. Much of Roman history, they were not friends to Christians. Um, but neither our Lord nor Paul would have ever denied or reviled authority that I'm aware of. I might have missed something. And I, and I think that that should be our response, no matter what kind of authority we have in this country in the coming years. And that response can only truly come out of our lives when we're first subject to God. And so if there's anything I want to call us to this morning is, is this, this attitude of subjection toward God and his authority. And open, open, laying it down, giving our life to God, his authority. He rules your life. He's your king. And I think when we're, when we're in that complete, you could say, yielded position to his lordship, this attitude of subjection to, to authorities, any authorities, whether it's really local or, or government authorities, um, flows out of that. I really think it does. With that, let's, let's kneel for prayer.